Truck it on this What the Truck episode right before Labor Day weekend. Ah, <sighs> the holiday for the people. I'm Dooner, and that's Michael Vincent. The Dooner. <laughs> holiday for the people. Good Friday afternoon from football. I mean, uh, Freight Alley. That's football what it alley. is. Foot, well, it started last well, night. We were all up last night texting back and forth about <laughs> yes. Ohio State. I had to tell yes, you to we keep were. the faith. I thought around halftime you were ready to give up. You're ready to give it to the Golden Gophers and say, you know what? This just ain't our start. I mean, we, Stroud looked uh, rattled in the first half, man. But he came back. They came back. They did good. They did hey, well. They did well. Speaking of sports, we have a new mascot for the shipping crisis. Take a look at what the Washington Nationals put out here. Um, the Nationals, they were going to have a bobblehead day tonight, right? Yeah. For this Ryan Zimmerman bobblehead. And it says, the Nationals sincerely apologize, but due to a transportation challenge that was beyond our control, the Ryan Zimmerman bobblehead presented by Pedigree will not be available for pickup for tomorrow's game, September 3rd. Upon entry at the ballpark, you're going to get a voucher, but you have to wait until October 1st. And for those on audio, they got this thing on a, on a, on a steamship right here, right? Yeah, <laughs> it is. It's a, it's a good thing we don't import hot dogs and like peanuts and beer and stuff like yeah. that. You have to cancel the whole season, man. Everything's being impacted. Right? I'm not we, going we to were down last yeah. night. We were down from 44 at the peak to 37 container ships at anchor. So we do have that going for us. And also, I contacted the Nationals, and we will be getting one of those Ryan Zimmerman bobbleheads after October when they arrive. Nice and work. We'll tell you all about its journey, and uh, maybe he'll become our own mascot of the shipping crisis. Yeah, there you go. Nice what work. do you think about a- that one? Ask Zimmerman. Hey, I, am not uh, a lawyer. I also have some uh, some other. Well, I got some bad news. Cybertruck's delayed until 2023. Good news mm. for my wallet, so I don't have to pay for it. But you know, <laughs> get that going yeah. on. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's <laughs> cool. <laughs> All right, let's get right to it though, because we have a, we have guests from top to bottom. Port X Logistics founder Brian Kepesi is going to be here discussing about how chartered vessels affect drayage, transload, and OTR capacity. We got. Bay City's Joshua Linden. He's going to talk to us the worlds of retail displays and logistics behind oh, that. Yeah, cool. A topic we haven't really got into. Sarah Scooter no. came on, talked to us about packaging, but we've never really talked about pop-up displays, and I am quite fascinated. We have professional trucker Kira Finley. She as uh, she takes us inside the cab. She's going to tell us about her journey from trying to be a digital effects artist and how she landed up being an over-the-road driver. Cool story for her. Yeah. Grand Logistics' Mike Harris, he does some heavy lifting as he brings us into the world of Heavy Hall. We'll learn the ins and outs of some of their cool projects. Lady Jet Logistics uh, CEO Tristan Simmons, she's going to be on with us as well, talking about um, how they're empowering other females joining the logistics industry so they don't have to make the same mistakes that she made. Then we're getting into some yeah. weather data to kick us off. But first, we got to tip the band. Autonomous trucks are coming with a huge potential windfall if you're ready to seize it. Start re-engineering your supply chain for autonomy today. Contact Locomation at... Tell them, dude. Hey, go to locomation.ai for turnkey solutions immediately after this show. Now, here's a gentleman I just spent an hour with yesterday recording next week's Insiders oh, talking cool. about how he got so deep into weather data. It's been a journey of his since he was six years old. It is Scott uh, Pecorillo. He's the founder and CEO of Weather Optics, and he's going to get us up to date on the aftermath of Ida and how it's impacted the Northeast and the New Orleans area. Hey, Scott, thanks for joining us today. Hey, good to be back, guys. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no, it's a great time to to have you on as well. And the weather optics, what you guys do is you take weather data and you don't look at dew points. You look at at how this will impact transportation. And I think maybe the best way to highlight that is to start showing some images here. So show, put a throw up this uh, this first graph here, and Scott can tell us what we're looking at. Yeah, so like you said, you know, our, our whole business is translating weather data into these really easy and actual insights that that everyone can understand. So. 
this is an image of, of our forecast for Ida a, a couple days ahead of time, and specifically for the Northeast, where we're predicting uh, the flood index for, for Pennsylvania. And you can see we have a six out of 10 here. We translate the data to let people know, you know what, what kind of impact they can expect for that. And uh, unfortunately, in, in this case, our forecast worked out uh, quite well for Pennsylvania, Jersey, Connecticut, and, and New York. Yeah, unfortunately, I'd say, man, we had some major, major flooding that is went down there, right? What's the what's the next and uh, the next uh, map here we got? Yeah, let's take a look at number two. Yeah, yeah. So this is looking at our business disruption index, and what's what's interesting about this one is it dynamically weights all of our other impact indices to to give this kind of overarching general risk score of how disruptive weather is going to be. So this is for a town in New Jersey. We're showing a high level of disruption due to that flooding from Ida, uh, and again, it, it verified pretty well in, in in this part of the country. Yeah, there was, a, there was a number of deaths, over a dozen deaths in New Jersey from uh, from this weather. Oh, I know. Yeah, yeah. The subway films, uh, the flash flooding hitting the subways and stuff was unbelievable. Yeah, it I was mean. terrible. Um, we, you also have some of these maps here. Let's take a look at number. Th- <clears throat> let's take a look at number three, and you can sort of walk us through what this is showing us here in uh, New Orleans area in Louisiana. Yeah, so this was these were our initial forecasts. This is three days ahead of time. What we were predicting, um, I believe this is this is for road conditions. So this is yes. road danger level. Um, so this is showing the different zip codes around uh, Louisiana and, and New Orleans and the level of road condition danger that we were expecting to happen. So you can see we predicted a 9.3 uh, out of 10, three days ahead of time for this area near New Orleans. Uh, and again, we saw, you know, road closures, uh, accidents, flood, flood on roadways. So, uh, you know, we saw more verification here as well. Yeah, that was road conditions. Nine point three out of ten. There, that's that's pretty bad. The next one here. And those are rare. This? Yeah, yeah, I would think that is pretty rare. And you got number four here, which then is the what are we looking at here? This flooding. is the flooding index. Flood index. So again, simple scale of one to ten. We're trying to break it down as as easy as we can. But um, in this case, we had a little description as well. So you can see we were expecting significant and widespread flooding with water rescues. Again, a three day forecast. We were able to break it down by zip code. Uh, and, and again, we saw obviously extensive flooding around New Orleans, uh, both from the storm surge and then also from from the actual rainfall itself. And what's really been uh, what's really been horrible out there, too. I mean, aside from the flooding and all these things yeah. and that guy who got eaten by the alligator, we also have uh, the a ton of power outages still there. You have an outage map that's showing what's going on. Let's jump over to that one and you can walk us through this. Yeah, so this is actually a, a relatively new impact indice that, that we developed. Uh, this is our power outage index, and we've been trying to get really granular with it. So uh, we're actually showing here how what percentage of a zip code we're expecting to go without power. Uh, this is actually a four-day lead time. So uh, for this specific zip code, just south of New Orleans, 94% without power is what we were expecting. Uh, we saw locations down south, south of New Orleans, and in New Orleans itself that uh, we're seeing close to 100% power outages even to today i think there's still about a million people without power in, in southern louisiana yeah and not expected to come back for any time real soon which is unfortunate that is for certain and the next one here is uh so let's go to number six here this is the the property life and property index yep so this is another one of our impact indices this is looking at how much damage we expect to homes and property uh and, and livelihood if you're outside during a you know a given storm event Again, this is a 9 out of 10. These kind of indices are, are extremely rare for us to forecast, but a hurricane of the caliber of, of Ida, uh, we had a lot of 9s and 10s. You can see all throughout southern Louisiana, uh, extensive damage, very high costs, uh, and predicting mandatory evacuations about three days ahead of time as well. Now, this hmm. says it was run 72 hours before landfall, so how accurate do these predictions end up being? Yeah, so, so we're doing some verification right now, but 
Um, the ones that you just showed were, were extremely accurate, right? I mean, we saw this kind of extensive damage uh, in southern Louisiana. We saw almost 100% power outages in, in some of these areas. And our forecasts go out to seven days. So we are making these predictions up to seven days in advance. Uh, and, and as with most weather forecasts, they become more and more accurate uh, as, you, as you get closer in time. Now, we have our own data, too, within Sonar that, that yeah. is looking at some of these impacts and weather, and it pairs up nicely with this. Let's look at this first Sonar uh, this first sonar screen right here. And, Vincent, can you tell me what we're looking at here? Yeah, so what I pulled up on the left-hand side, there is a market table, and it shows the different conditions of a, a market, the inbound and outbound freight flow and rejections, the availability of the of the capacity there to, uh, uh, to, to handle those. And what you're looking at there is leading up to and, and right after the hurricane, the blue is the number of outbound uh, loads coming out of the New Orleans market rare so you can see it's uh, spiking people trying to get everything out of there yeah. and then it drops off obviously there so carriers and shippers alike can see what the pressures are the orange line is the outbound tender rejections or the demand the capacity saying no we're not pulling it out of there right there's no capacity there and you can see it leading up to the hurricane there how uh, the rejections started happening as uh, carriers started to get out of the way yeah they were pushing forward on the 29th you can see leading yeah. up there then it just falls off a cliff that's not the bunny slope that's the that's the black diamond slope yeah that's a double black diamond right there Let, yeah. let's see the next one here too you, you brought up another great one yeah, so this next one right here is the is the ratio of inbound to outbound. So New Orleans is normally outbound heavy, right, to inbound. And you can see that both of them, inbound and outbound, start to spike there coming, leading into it, right, as as people trying to get freight in. I don't suspect that that's much relief stuff because all that type of stuff is usually outside of that area. But that's people trying to get loads in there before it hits and everything gets shut down and getting out. And what's interesting is when inbound in this, in this case starts to happen is you usually don't have the rejection rate that we saw in the previous one spiking. They wanted to get in, drop it, and get out of Dodge. Uh, hey, Scott, it's a it's a tough time in supply chain disruptions. I mean, we got disruptions all over the place. Weather just being another part of that story. For people who want to stay on top of the weather and get these predictive forecasts from your team, where should I send where should I send them to? Yeah, absolutely. They can go to uh, weatheroptics.co. Uh, they can find me on LinkedIn. Happy to talk about uh, you know the stuff that we're doing in supply chain logistics as it relates to weather. Thank you, Scott. Catch him next week on FreightWaves Insiders on Thursday at 3.30 p.m. Eastern Time and on demand as well. Speaking of FreightWaves Insiders, this week's FreightWaves Insiders guest is with us right now. Brian Kempest, he's the founder of PortX Logistics. I've spent a lot of time recently as he reflects on this four-year journey with Port. X is uh, we were on insiders. We talked about some of his his extreme retreats that he puts leadership through and all those kind of things. Brian, it's good to see you again. Uh, Great to be on again. There you are, man. Mr. True Grit. True grit. You got it. <laughs> so <laughs> one movie. of the things we keep hearing about in the news, and I think a lot of people have the same reaction to it, is these charters, right? Your Walmart's chartering a vessel, Home Depot chartering a vessel. And, and it, it sounds great because it gives you space, but, you know, also, well, there's still the, the dynamics and the infrastructure of port congestion. So let's get into that topic. Let's talk a little bit about charters. Um, yeah, I think, you know, from the freight forwarder NVOCC and the, the BCO side, you know, your big um, retailers like your Walmarts and Home Depots, you know, chartering vessels has become the new cool thing in ocean freight. And it does provide some capacity, but it provides a lot of challenges. And I just don't see many people planning for the challenges uh, that these charter vessels um, cause. And, and some of the challenges are there's only so much space at the ports. There's only so much real estate Drayman truckers industry-wide only have so many spots in their yard to park these containers after they're transloaded. Um, Many of these are shipper-owned containers. Uh, Nobody wants to take the empties back where there's ambiguity as to where to take the empties back. 
And it really just chokes the infrastructure once these vessels get here. So it's yet to be seen whether chartering vessels is actually going to be beneficial uh, to the end consumer or not. Yeah. So, Brian, is this a case of somebody, listen, I've got the money to do this and I'm going to and I'm going to get this done and it helps them specifically, but it, then it screws up the rest of the supply chain, which is not really what we need right now. Right. Is this just competition yeah. going the wrong way? Some of it, I would say, is is uh, competition. Right. So you're competing for those resources. But some of it, there's there's just there's only so much space. So, you know, I'm just going to throw out, you know, some some rough numbers just just for an analogy. Say there's room for a thousand containers at the port in Savannah. Well, if you send fifteen hundred, there's just nowhere to put them, and that's what we're running into. Is the terminals have nowhere to put them, so they go into closed areas, which means you can't go pick them up. Um, you get them delivered to the transload warehouse because many of these are not being railed inland, and the transload warehouse only has so many parking spots. So real estate has become, to me, the biggest issue in the supply chain right now. You can get drivers. You can pay more to get drivers and equipment. You can figure that end of it out. But if there's no place to put the cargo and or the empty containers, there's simply no place to put it. You know, um, in Long Beach, you know, your option is where are we going to start putting these things in Las Vegas because there's nowhere to put them. You know, I mean, parking lots are full. <laughs> well, you know, wh- I think what, you know, speaking of these containers and putting in place, I think what Walmart just recently did with their charter was really interesting. They filled it with not 40s or 20s. They filled it with 53. Yeah. So their containers are probably going to end up right on the back uh, of trucks. Right. So they're kind of solving a problem there, but not a problem for the industry. We hear a lot of people talking about there being a container shortage. But what you're telling us is this is more of an equipment positioning shortage, is it not? Uh, it is. Yeah. I mean, the, the amount of time in the community, you know, this is what I had read recently, was a pre-pandemic three and a half days from, you know, the time you pick it up from the terminal until the empty gets uh, ingated. And now we're on like eight days. So, you know, L.A. Long Beach combined brings in over a million containers a month and an extra five days in the community. It, it's just it's squashing the infrastructure. I mean, our warehouse in Long Beach, we have containers parked in the employee parking lot because there's nowhere to put them. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Uh, so, Brian, it wasn't it wasn't the plan, kind of the, like to chart charter these boats and then take them or control uh, in an off port where they have more influence. And they have done some of that. Yeah. You know, we we've seen Mobile, um, a chartered vessel, into Mobile, um, but Mobile can again only handle so much. So you can't like say, oh, well, Mobile's, you know, not that congested or. There's not much that much freight there. And then you send everything to Mobile that, that that's just going to flood that system. So L.A. still seems to be the mainstay for these chartered vessels. Um, you know, Oakland is is choked with what it's currently got. Seattle's getting a couple. And now the Canadian ports, um, specifically the West Coast, Vancouver was doing great. And now we're seeing some lag times there. Even I think Canadian Tire, which is probably the biggest retailer in Canada, is started a transload program where they're transloading every container that hits the Canadian West Coast. So, um, you know, that infrastructure is going to get chewed up really fast as well. Yeah, it, I mean, it's brutal. And we keep hearing all these nightmare stories from, from, from all these things. From your perspective, what has been the biggest thorn in the side of, of your customers that you, that you have to solve for them in this kind of environment? Uh, I think it's just pre-planning. You know, I mean, I think you know, the customers are jumping up and down with joy that they got space on a vessel. And then 
you know, it's it's the dog that's chasing the car. It caught the car, and now what do you do? And these these ships are coming in, and it's like, okay, now we're reacting and trying to figure out a way um, to put these through the system rather than, you know, let's be pre-planning with your Drayman, your trucker, um, you know, off-site storage. I mean, we utilize and uh, some, some, you know, different offsite storages from price transfer to secure space, but you've got to plan these things because there, there's only so much space in the industry and those who plan will get the space and those who don't plan will get a bill for demerge. So Brian, I think you would agree that, uh, now is not the time to try and coordinate all these things yourself. If you're, if you're a shipper or a, a constant, you know, an importer of goods, you need, you need somebody who knows all these things and coordinate all these things like a maestro in a finely tuned orchestra, correct? I would I would agree with that analysis because there's so many moving parts, right? You're you're tracking the ocean vessel, um, you're you're making sure it's customs cleared on their behalf, um, you're making sure that there's transload warehouse space, you're making sure that you have pallets because there was a pallet shortage on the West Coast, you're making sure there's labor, you're making sure there's real estate to park the containers, and then you have to secure over the road space. And there's a lot of moving parts, um, and, and that's hard for some of these these large. Uh, BCOs or NBOCCs to do from, you know, an office in Chicago or New York City. From the perspective of a lot of shippers right now, these demerge charges are unwarranted because they can't even retrieve their own goods. And, you know, that's causing a lot of a lot of conflict between intermediaries here. Is there any recourse going on a, about demerge? I, we can't get a clear answer. We were yeah. asking the AAR about it, who represent the railroads. And they were like, yeah, you know, it's an issue. Yeah, well, yeah, I think- <laughs> that's right. I think some providers like uh, the CN in Chicago has been working on alternatives and weekend pickups and encouraging off-hour pickups. Um, you know, I think there is some movement, at least on the rail side, to try to do some. I haven't necessarily seen it too much on the ocean side. And, you know, um, the government and the Biden a- uh, administration, you know, they've made some comments in the news, but I haven't really seen any traction on it. And really, for the most part, you know, the end users are just getting getting uh, stuck with these uh, demurrage bills. But charter vessels are not going to help demurrage. It's just going to make the problem worse. Yeah, we've seen some executive uh, suggestions uh, come come out. But what? so how long, what's it going to take to fix this? How, are we just going to have to ride this out or we need some type of event to say, okay, wait a minute, let's reset. Do we need a reset button or, or how, do, how do we get this fixed? I don't know how you reset it other than don't send anything over for a couple of weeks until the right. system is clean, but that's not going to happen. I mean, people no. are trying to make their numbers for retail season. You know, a lot of these are publicly traded companies that they, they need to hit their numbers. So I think we just got to struggle through September, October, November. And, um, you know, we can reevaluate after peak season and retail season and see if, you know, if it's getting better or not, if it's not, you know, they're going to have to look for alternatives. And I know, um, you know, the port in Long Beach is, is enhancing their rail capacity. So, so that will help. But I mean, that Las Vegas comment that I made is, is reality. I mean, we might have to look at, let's get all these containers out of Long Beach and whether it's a, you know, a short rail service or trucking service or something, we're going to have to expand the areas that we're using because you can't just keep jamming all this stuff into Seattle and Long Beach and expecting the problem to get better. Yeah. Yeah. Brian, have a great Labor Day weekend. Thank you so much for joining us on the show today. And everyone, if you want more out of Brian and myself, Freight Waves Insiders is on demand now. You can watch it on Freight Waves TV or wherever you get podcasts. Just look up Freight Waves Insiders. Thanks once again, sir. All right. Thank you.
Take care. Thanks, Brian. Hey, now we're going to get into a topic that, um, you know, like I mentioned, Sarah Scooter, we were talking about packaging itself. But one thing we haven't really talked about is how pop-up displays work and retail stand-ups work and logistics behind that and how it ties into supply chain. So we reached out to Joshua Linden of Bay Cities. He's an expert on all of those kind of things. Joshua, thanks for joining us and taking a little time. Hey, how's it going, guys? Doing great. Hey, man, I dig the glasses. Yeah, thanks, man. <laughs> do, they, do those have like the blue light blocker? Like, I got a brand they new do. pair of glasses. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I, I see. The, I bought a brand new pair of glasses, and I felt I did. I made the mistake of falling asleep watching um, TV with them on, and then one of the arms broke off. Michael Vincent. Oh, yeah, no, 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 no. You got to buy the. You got to spend the money and get the flex, right? That you yeah. tie up in a knot. And stuff well, like I got that. them online, and sometimes that's a challenge. Well, yeah. hey, Joshua. Hey, tell us a little bit about uh, about what you do over at Bay Cities. All right. So a little bit about what you do. You kind of intro to that. Um, we really help guide uh, suppliers and also retailers um, through the planning and um, design process of packaging and display. So really what we want to do is take them from start to finish, from creative to design to manufacturing to actually pack out and then planning the logistics, getting those to stores and making sure they're set properly. So really we want to you know kind of be a one-stop shop, but I'm not really a super fan of that word, but really we want to be a best solutions provider um, for um, execution at the retail level. Well, we have some examples of your solutions. One of them is this this lackey box that you did for Costco. If we can take a look at that, please. Um, yeah, that right there. Yeah, That's yeah. a really interesting setup because this is something that you you palletize, right? And that goes directly Correct. into uh, a display or an end cap. That's correct. Yeah. So this specifically would go into a club channel. This could go into Sam's Club or Costco. Um, so we we would actually design that, manufacture, ISTA test it so that it would uh, um, su- survive supply chain. You know, make sure it's compression. You know, it gets drop tested, it gets slam tested. Um, you know, even shake tested. So so that you you're prepared for supply chain, and then we'll get those out to stores and we manufacture it, pack it out, and help with the logistics aspect. Yeah, that's an important part of that, Joshua. We were talking about before this, and in my my uh, former life in LTL dealing with customers, they don't understand that that is actually a different class than the product that's in it, right? If you ship product just in boxes, that's a different classification and a whole different stowability than if it's an actual end display, correct? Correct. Yeah, they have 1A, 1B um, testing. They also have 3E or SAM 6 testing. So there's other there's a lot of things you have to think about when you're planning for retail. And I think that's, you know, you know, you got to have a strong partner there. You have you have a ton of partners. Uh, Lowe's Home Depot been very popular over the pandemic. Look at these examples here. When you design these kind of or people come to you to design or to to deploy these kind of displays, what's the process here? So I think, you know, and what was interesting, I think I was listening to some of the other um, speakers here, but really what I think. Oh, okay, he's, he's frozen again. Once he's back up, we'll get him. But you're looking at these Lowe's displays. They're, yeah. they're pretty wild. And we also have one more video here we can show of what you're seeing when you go inside of a grocery store. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Just, to, just to give you an idea of these different displays. And hopefully we'll get Josh back up. Maybe we can dial out to him, guys, and we can. Um, well, I imagine you, you really need a professional to go through these things. I mean, look at this. It gets your attention and it really displays it. It's got to be done really well because that's not easy real estate to get in a retail environment, I would imagine. No, right? it's, it's, it's got to be expensive, right? It, it's not. So you're making a big investment. You're buying that retail space and that retail footprint and, and, and you need it to be successful. Yeah, it's got to be successful. It's got to there. It's got to grab it because if it doesn't turn, it's not going to one of you're going to lose that space to somebody else. And two, you've just spent a lot of money and effort to get that real estate because that's high prime real estate. man. Yeah, well, location, I hope he comes location. back. Because one of the things I want to ask him about in terms of packaging is if this is a terrible idea right now. Now, I saw these in my bathroom. If you can show this picture, please. I saw these in my bathroom. 
Um, and we have we have young kids, so Don't we've had baby mistake, wipes. <laughs> we've had baby wipes around the house for years, right? Yeah, yeah. And, I know what you're talking well, about. Well, you don't want to go to the bathroom in the dark with the Clorox wipes sitting on the back of your display. You're gonna have yeah. uh, you're gonna have some issues. Yeah, you don't want to go and like replace that when it goes empty uh, if you're impaired or sleepy. You want to have someone else do that for you. Yeah, <laughs> so of you don't wind up with that sitting. <laughs> That's for sure. But this stuff is, I mean, it, it's really interesting the end cap displays and what you have to do to make that stuff there because it, it, it and we were just talking about before in LTL, right? Yeah. Is is that that package that we first saw there, his, his cost, I think it was Costco display, that is the freight. Right. So when that's being shipped, if it gets damaged, it's no good. It doesn't matter if the lackey inside of it gets damaged. If that display, the outer packaging gets damaged, that is that is a major problem. It's a claim. So it's got to be a higher classification. It's got to be handled completely different. And like he said, compression testing, drop testing, push testing, all that kind of stuff's got to happen because it's got to withstand it. And I think Josh is back. So, Josh, we were just taking a look at those those Lowe's and those Home Depot displays. Uh, what goes into that kind of design? What we were trying to what we were trying to figure out here is when you're talking about this really valuable real estate, right? This really valuable foot traffic. These were, these must be a big investment for companies. They are. They absolutely are. Um, I mean, it, it is an added value, right? You're getting an opportunity to go outside of the shelf space, so there is going to be an additional cost. You got to protect your product. Um, you know, make sure that it arrives to source safely and that you're planning for that because you know you product packaging is a lot different than display packaging it's going to go undergo a different you know there could be a lot more movement in the display there could be a lot of extra features so i think really getting into the planning and making sure that you have contingency plans and understanding those timelines from all of your different suppliers and finding a partner that can really turnkey that from start to finish is really going to help save some money and also you know make sure that partner understands you know supply chain and, you know, OTIF or whatever those little details are, I mean, it's going to be important. So, Joshua, do you, do you, in this space, I've, I've dealt with this space before uh, dealing with merge shipments, right? A lot of times these end displays, et cetera, are not moving with product inside them. Can you talk to that a little bit? Yeah. So sometimes they are um, shipped without product. Um, I would say a majority of the displays that we ship do go with product. Um, and that is kind of our skill set. And that is where we, um, yeah you know, drive the best. Now we can ship them KDF was what we would call that, or just flat pack kits. Um, we can do that. We do a lot of signage, a lot of, um, you know, maybe for grocery channel where they just throw in the display and they build it at the store level. It's kind of the same process. Um, it may not go through a distribution center because it has no product value. So it's going to have to go direct to store. So that does add some additional um, challenges because it may go through UPS or FedEx um, and it may get touched a lot more. So you really have to make sure you package those things correctly. Now, Josh, yeah. in an environment like this, very disruptive freight environment, excessive delays, when you have to match the display to the product, what kind of uh, delays and challenges are you seeing? All the ones that you guys are talking about. I mean, you're, you're seeing delays at the port. Uh, you can't get, you know, they're not able to even get the product into containers, you know, from the point of origin, um, you know, let alone getting trucks. Um, some of the other challenges are, you know, lead times on pallets and V boards and the things that actually make sure your, you know, your display survives supply chain. So I think, um, you know, just really understanding that whole process. And I think finding a partner that does understand not only just specific retailers, but other retailers. And I think that's where, you know, working with someone like us, where we, it's not just Walmart, Sam's club, it's, you know, Costco, it's target, it's, you know, Kroger, um, all those grocery channels. So it's, it's really trying to find someone that understands multiples because then you can, you know, be a lot more valuable. 
No, Vincent, I was looking at TVs on Amazon recently, and they have okay. some AR aspects to it now, and you can kind of see where your TV would fit in your in your. Oh, house, okay, right? yeah, yeah. But yeah. it's really it's kind of janky. Um, like AR is is a little bit janky. Is yeah. it is it getting better? And are we going to see like, uh, like I could put like an Oculus on and go on Instacart and like grab the groceries with my hand kind of thing? You know, I I would like to see that. I think there's going to be more of that. I mean, just from seeing what I you know at the store level, but I think. You know, it's it's going to be adapting. I think experiment, you know, experiential is important. Um, we use QR codes at the store level. We've actually implemented AR technology into our displays, um, and sometimes that can be as, you know, not to actually for, you know, consumer experience, but maybe for execution at the store level. So that's something that we've implemented, which we'll use AR technology where you scan a code and it will actually show how to step by step build a display or coordinate these complex, you know, palette trains, because it's not just a single display. I mean, most people think, oh, well, it's got a half palette. We're talking about coordinated trains where there are maybe eight to 10 half palettes that need to get organized at a store level in a specific coordination. Um, and it has to be executed right, right? Because you mentioned it already, cost is a big factor of this. It is expensive to get those things into stores. Um, there's a lot of marketing budgets and sales budgets that go along with that. So it's important that they arrive and get set correctly. Yeah, I think that augmented reality or the interaction is really important, and especially yeah. you hitting those QR codes because you know when I'm like watching the game last night, right? Watching football, you'll get a you'll get a, an ad, and it'll ask me three different types of ad, and it'll ask me pick my experience that I want to see. Right? Yeah. You can gain that yeah. type of information through that AR, correct? Yep, you can. Awesome. Yeah, let me tell you something. Before ask. I let you go, I got to ask you about some packaging because I got something in my bathroom that's really been bothering me. Can you show this picture again? So, <laughs> uh, you know, I got babies, so I got baby wipes, and I saw these things in here. I'm going to the bathroom in the dark, and I had a really negative experience with these Clorox wipes. Um, I'm cleaner than I've ever been. I'll put it that way. But do you think that we should, like, in terms of packaging consideration, is this a faux pas? Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, it really depends on the education. I think that that's a very unique opportunity for um, some packaging review. Um, you know, there are some guys that do this already, the dude wipes. I'm going to shout them out. I don't work <laughs> with them, but um, those guys are pretty rad. Um, they might have an idea of how to fix that. <laughs> yeah. Bleach wipes in, uh, in, in baby wipe looking packaging. Yeah, that might be a good idea. Yeah. That's By the way, I mean, sketchy. Dude Wipes, Dude Wipes is, you speak of marketing and packaging all the time. Dude Wipes is, is a prime example. So if you are hip to like baby wipes, you go on Amazon, you can get Amazon basic baby wipes. You can get like thousands of yeah, them yeah, yeah, for like yeah, yeah. 20 bucks, or you can get like a couple hundred Dude Wipes. Like yeah, no, the I'm cost the baby per wipe wipes. is like two cents versus 20 cents for to have the uh, the black package to, to, to secure yeah. your uh, your manhood. Yeah, well, you've got a lot of bachelors out there that are going to get married and have kids and go, man, I way overspent. Yeah. <laughs> like, Josh, how do, people, how do people reach out and learn more about Bay Cities? Well, you can reach out to me on LinkedIn, Joshua Lennon. You can find me there. I'm, I'm always open to questions and helping support people. I mean, that's really what it's about. I think you just got to be educated and make sure you're planning and thinking about those processes. You may not come to Bay Cities. You may not work with us, but, you know, we definitely want to be a resource and support, um, you know, you being successful in retail. So you can reach us also at bay-cities.com um, or you can email me at uh, Joshua L at baycities.com. Thanks, Josh. Have a great Labor Day weekend and uh, keep putting out Thank those. Thank you so much. Appreciate it, guys. All right. With Thanks, fully Joshua. furnished state-of-the-art repair trucks and a full array of roadside tools, you can expect the safest, fastest, and most painless response from the fleet at Love's Truck Care and Speedco. 
Actually, you know what? <laughs> I don't even think I had to read this one this month. But hey, there's a free one on you, loves. Yeah, why not? <laughs> go to loves.com after the show. Why not? <laughs> that's one on us for being a heck? good partner. There you All go, right, guys. let's bring uh, Kiara Finley up. She's probably been at a loves of a time or two. And she's got a really <laughs> cool story. She's 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 trying to marry the world of visual effects to trucking, and and that's kind of how she got her start. Now she's found herself in a truck and maybe thinking about getting back into visual effects. So we'll find out from her what that's all about. Thanks for joining us on air today. <laughs> Hi, how's it going? Where are you? Where'd you pull over? You look like you're in a parking lot. Yeah, I'm in a rest area in Effingham, Illinois. Oh, wow. Wow, nice. Wow. I'm on my way to Lexington, Tennessee. Oh, nice. Great state of Tennessee. That's where we're at. Well, you know, Tell, we, so we go. first connected because yeah. I did that Insiders with Ingrid Brown, and I clipped out a clip of her talking about um, what goes on on CB radios. And oh, Kara okay. kind of gave a little blowback, and she was like, you know, maybe uh, maybe uh, Ingrid's protecting the industry a little bit much because your experience on the CB was quite a bit different. What goes on on the CB radio this day, on uh, this in these <laughs> days? Uh, mostly, uh, I don't hear much until, you know, you come up into traffic. You know, maybe there's an accident up ahead and other drivers will let you know, you know, ahead. But uh, when you're sitting there waiting to get through that, you know, you'll hear all kinds of things, you know, politics, uh, complaints, you know, I'm going to pull over and let's rumble, that kind of thing. (laughs) So I kind of feel like I missed out on the golden age of trucking. (laughs) Well, you know, at least the CB. Now, Kira, you've done some really interesting things. Like, here's a picture of you uh, driving uh, a Pride float in Los Angeles where I think you got your start in visual effects. So tell me a little bit about that experience driving the the, the Pride float and what you were doing in that that past life over in Los Angeles. Uh, well, actually, I was invited to drive the Google float um, when I first started uh, driving as a, a safety driver for Kodiak. Um, so... Uh, that's me in the pickup truck that you can barely see. And behind that is the float. So it's, you know, <laughs> it, it's interesting. You got a lot of people that you got to watch out for. Yeah, yeah I imagine. You got people, yeah, people walking around thinking you're seeing everybody all at the exact same time, right? Watching you. So I, I understand you got involved with a Star Trek spinoff as well. Uh, yeah, it wasn't successful. It was, it's, <laughs> uh, it was Star Trek Renegades and Renegades the Requiem. Um, so I did a couple of, or designed a couple of ships for that, and I got to be an extra, and that's my son there. Nice. Who, oh, cool. Uh, <laughs> just chilling out. Well, it looks like they did some cool practical so, effects work with the, the latex masking and actually giving you sort of a starship command to sit inside. Yeah, that was the uh, cockpit of the uh, little shuttle that I designed. Now, you were doing this design work, and at some point you decided to get your CDL. Tell us a little bit about how that came about. Um, I've had my CDL for about seven years now, and uh, I kind—I had this plan that I was going to get my CDL, drive for two years, and then try to, you know, push to get into visual effects full time. But somehow I've just, you know, stuck with trucking. It—it it seems to be more stable. Um, you know, a lot of the work for a visual effects artist has gone overseas because mm. it's cheaper, but. Uh, um, you know, I, I would I listen to friends that are in the industry and, uh, you know, some of them are saying, oh, you could do this. Come on, you could do this. And others are saying, you know, uh, it's kind of rough. <laughs> so what is so what is your so, advice, Kara? You 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 were looking at a, a different uh, uh, a career path and then took this to get a little stability and some income going. And now you're in it here. Would you recommend this uh, as a career path for for young women? Actually, I would. Um, you get, you know, paid to travel. 
you uh, you know earn a pretty decent income, and uh, you know you learn a stable career that you can always fall back on. You know, no matter what job you decide to go into later, Just keep your CDL good and your driver's license clean, and you know you'll always have a job. You seem to do a good job of of getting yourself involved in some interesting projects. Another one was you were an autonomous safety mm-hmm. driver. How does that work? Yeah, um, so that that actually ha- occurred because of a previous Pride Parade that I'd been in. Um, we were there for uh, Uber Freight and their uh, Pride panel, and then we were given a tour of their research facility where they were at the time test driving autonomous trucks. And you know, I saw how you know what they were doing, and I wanted in, so I applied there, and I also applied to other companies and. Uh, Kodiak called me back and a few months later and said, hey, you, uh, would you come out here and, and try out for us? So I did that, and then I moved to Fremont and uh, you know, was a safety driver there for about a year. What, what are those tryouts? What, like, what do you do during a tryout? Do they have like a combine set up or something? <laughs> uh, no, they, ju- they just want to see how you handle the truck. Um, there's no autonomy involved. Um, but, you know, they just want to make sure that you're observant and, you know, you're a safe driver and you know what you're doing. So, but when you're actually doing it, so you got the job and you're actually doing it, are you riding in an autonomous truck and kind of there in case stuff happens and, and, you know, goes down and and you, then you save it and you're giving input or or what, how does that work? Yeah. So, uh, you know how they say you're, you've always got to have your head on a swivel when driving a truck. Yeah. It's got to be more so when you're testing. Um, you're watching out to make sure that the truck is actually doing what it's supposed to do, but also making sure that, you know, the people around you are doing what they're supposed to be doing. Um, so you'll have, uh, you know, the, the, there'll be uh, someone with you watching what the computer's doing. And, uh, you know, I'm in the driver's seat ready to take control if I see it doing something I don't like. Mm-hmm. Were you impressed mm-hmm. by the the technology, the autonomous driving technology at either like Google or, or Kodiak? Oh yeah, it's it's amazing. Um, you know, if if this is the future, it's it's really impressive. Wow, and a truck driver saying that too. I mean, a lot of truck drivers are you know they're a little uh, averse yeah, to the yeah. autonomous trucks. There's a little technophobia going on. Hey, have you thought? So you have you want to do visual effects, right? Um, truckers are, are are you know it's trucker social media is blowing up on things like TikTok. Have you thought of marrying the the two worlds with all the great footage you get on the road, having access to a truck, and maybe I don't know making your own little uh, gorilla movies from the road? I thought about it. Um, I, I have another friend who uh, also does visual effects, who is also a trucker for Landstar. And, uh, you know, he and I talk a lot about visual effects. But, uh, you know, I've, I've been out here seven years. I've I've gotten, you know, plenty of pictures and footage. So, you know, there's there's plenty to work with. I just have have this library I need to kind of uh, go through and, and look at. Yeah, well, we could use some cool extra footage on what the truck. I'll, I'll contact you yeah, after absolutely. the show and see maybe if there's yeah, something we can get, get you involved in either way. But, hey, thank you so much for pulling over on the side of the road and letting us inside your really uh, unique world of driving. It's, you're, you're, you do some cool stuff out there, Kara. God bless you, and have a great Labor Day weekend. Take <laughs> thank care. you, and uh, thanks for, for having me. Thank right you. On. Thanks Peace for and love, Kara.
Really cool. Really cool. Yeah, absolutely. Interesting world. I, I like it too because you know why I relate to it a lot? Because I came from the world of music and then I ended up in supply chain and it took me a while, but eventually I figured out how to marry those th two worlds through, you know, podcasting and, and TV. Yeah, and it's, the a, it's a similar thing. Yeah. You were out in LA trying to make it in music world, yeah. right? It's tough out there. Yeah. It's, it's tough uh, out I there. I hear it is. Yeah. I hear it is. You know what's tough too? Heavy halls, man, but heavy oh, halls yeah. are also cool. That's why we got Mike Harris here. He is an expert. He's a manager, sales uh, he manager. Make, he over. makes it look easy, though, man. He does make it look easy over at Grand Logistics and he's always really happy about this when he posts his uh his loads on on linkedin i that, that's actually what attracted me to this gentleman mike thanks for joining us today oh he's muted let's bring him up All he's right. muted right now let's bring Mike. hey back. guys there he is oh, what's happening what's going on me. I appreciate it. What, happy what's, to be here what, what's that building behind you uh this is the other tower in the building that i work in i'm in downtown minneapolis so we're we got a little two building thing going on oh did um, you have, watch so the uh you watched the ohio state game last night Unfortunately, I did. I thought my Gophers were going to pull it out there after the first half, but our running back went down. So, uh, yeah, yeah. That, no, I'll tell you what that 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 guy's legit. He can, he can run, and 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 your quarterback Morgan. He, uh, we Dooner and I were watching, saying he is coming of age during that game. That boy can can run a run a game. Yeah, he looked really good. Good field general. We're happy to have him. So hopefully, you know, I got some guys out there, some more studs. So hopefully, we can figure it out a little bit here and and keep competing. Well, we grabbed a bunch of images of some of these heavy hauls that you've posted about and that you sent us. So let's take a look at this yeah. first one here. It's a, it's a hundred and ten thousand pound. What is this? A hundred and ten thousand pound it's an engine. Uh, it's an end. That's an engine in that box right there. Tell us about this particular yeah. project right here. What's going on? Uh, yeah, that's an engine um, for a customer of mine. They do a lot of work um, bringing things down near the ports or to uh, barges, particularly. We picked this one up in the upper Midwest. Uh, and like you mentioned, it's 110,000 pounds. Um, and it's really tall. It's like 13 foot one tall. So we had to find a very low bearing trailer, as you can see kind of in the photo down there. That thing sits not even six inches off the ground. Wow. Um, and that helps us accommodate for our height restrictions. Um, with a lot of heavy haul, there's a lot of process that goes into the permitting and the routing. Um, and, and having a low bearing trailer will, will allow you to navigate around those, those obstacles, uh, much, much easier. So we're thankful to our partner carriers and the people who help us out a lot with, with, with these types of moves. It's, it's what's, you know, made our name in the industry and what's continuing to keep us going, um, as a company. So yeah, that was well, a Vincent, fun one. We just, Mike, Mike and Vincent here and Mike Vincent, we were on our <laughs> intermodal show on Wednesday. We were looking at that, that video of the turbine, right. That was oh, getting, yeah. in Texas that was getting pulled across the tracks and it got slammed by the oh, train. Yeah, and we were smoked. thinking like, why would you even oh, route something? That. Why would you route something like that across train tracks? What kind of considerations do you have to put it? Like routing seems to be a big deal. So Especially when you only got six inch clearing. There's certain areas you just do not want to go. Yeah, exactly. Routing is a massive, massive part of heavy haul transportation. It's it's what keeps people safe on the road. I mean, you and I were kind of talking earlier this week, but safety is a huge part of heavy haul and, and overdimensional transportation because there are so many bridges, um, railroad crossings, um, tight turns that you necessarily can't make um, in a trailer that big. I mean, that piece of equipment, that 110,000 pound machine, we added a 13 axle trailer on that. Um, and, and that thing is going to be massive. I mean, you add 15 more feet to your standard trailer length, and you might not be able to make a turn, um, you know, that Google will tell you to make. Um, and you might not be able to go underneath a bridge um, that, that, that Google would normally route you on if you're in your Ford F-150 um, because you got a piece of equipment behind you that, that, that could run into that bridge and, you know, not only damage, you know, the bridge itself, but also potentially um, cause harm to people on the road. So routing is a huge thing that goes into what we do. And, and at times, you, you know, you can have a driver make 200, 250 turns in a single, in a single shipment, which is, is a lot. 
That's a lot of turns. Yeah, that's a lot of turns. So, you know, one thing I love is I love his passion. I love his posts. Yeah. And one of the reasons I love your posts is because some, you, you go into descriptive detail. Can we look at this next one here? Tell yeah. us about this thing here because this thing is really cool. A lot of people say, hey, they just want, hey, my, my, we moved this, this piece of equipment. You go in to tell what people are because I'm always like, what is that thing? Yeah, it's a long-reach excavator, right? Yep, correct, correct. It's a long-reach excavator used for trenching or, um, uh, you know, off the sides of bridges, places that you can't necessarily reach, um, you know, from from the ground. You might have to go over the top or if you're really trying to get down low um, and, and start pulling out areas for piping or, or, or trenching or, or dredging as well um, into shallow waters. Um, so, yeah, that's a cool piece of equipment and, and one that we move quite frequently, actually. Well, and at 54 feet in length, I'm, it's good to see you have a flag there on the back of it. You yeah. definitely need that yeah. deep safety consideration. <laughs> there was one here that, right. like, the post made us laugh because you're just like, my job is so cool, I, I move heavy stuff. And it, it looks like almost like a yellow locomotive, and I'm not, what, are, what is this particular item? Uh, yeah, so, you know, you, the roads that we drive on, they got to get there some way as well. Um, I moved this machine for, for, for a good friend of mine um, who, who I've worked with for a long time, um, and that, that's a paver. That'll put down the actual concrete and cement onto the, onto the road um, when, we're, when, when you're making a new highway or you're trying to tear up a highway as well. It's got a bunch of different um, uh, uh, ways to work, um, and that, that, that piece of equipment um, uh, moved that one a lot as well. It's a, it's a cool piece. Helps, helps, helps create the roads that we drive on every day. It's interesting. Yeah, that, that's uh, that. That one's really interesting. And that post we were talking about too, because I love the fact that you just said we move cool stuff. Pretty neat. <laughs> that's it. I yeah, right. That. I mean, that's Short, something that, that's something that I like to that I like to put into my into my posts and to, to the people who ask me what I'm doing or, or, or what, what you know what do you really do? You do logistics. It's like, well, yeah, I do logistics, and there's a lot of companies that do this type of thing. But it, it really is cool to see the real life application of what we're moving. Um, and, and not that you can't get that with, you know, more, you know, normal flatbeds and closed van trailers, things like that. But, but, um, what drew me into heavy haul logistics was just, you know, the real life application of what we're doing. I mean, let, let you take that engine, for example, I mean, you're getting a steamship out to, out, uh, out, you know, into our waters, to protect our country, or you're getting you know, that long reach excavator down to a bridge that collapsed and it's helping pull stuff out, or you're moving, you know, for, 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 you're moving, you know, uh, solar panels to go to uh the las vegas raiders stadium or you're you know there's just a real life application of logistics and heavy haul that you can see um every day that that is really interesting and i try to bring some excitement and some some joy to that because um i think it's very undervalued in in in, in the world today well look at this you got a hundred and seventy thousand pound tank here on a removable gooseneck trailer with 13 axles how does something like that work yeah, so that's interesting. So for for that's a dolly trailer that we move that piece on. As you can see there in the middle, there's there, there's nothing there. There's not a beam. There's nothing in the middle there that that that's supporting that 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 tank. That's a that's a self-supporting tank. Um, and we talked about turns. Um, turns are a huge thing in the route surveys that you make. The DOT is very very uh, strict on you know how many turns you make or where you're making your turns. Um, and with a piece that's this long, um, there's only so many ways you can go. Um, and and by by having the dolly trailer that allows us to get to a point in the road that might be you know a 90 degree angle might be a tougher turn that will allow us to have the driver start in his trailer move that forward and then he can get out or someone who rides with him in the truck can go and steer the dolly in the back and move it around you know a tight corner um, that makes routing a lot easier it makes us uh more efficient in what we're doing um so when we can and we have self-supporting 
uh, units such as this tank or or uh, conveyors, other things like that. As long as they're self-supporting, we'll use these dolly trailers to make things more effective, uh, get them there quicker for our customers, and ultimately offer them less price. Um, you know, because we're not we're not moving as far. Nice, nice. You know, Mike, I like this next picture that we have here because the number one question we get asked all the time, we get it all the time. It's annoying how many people call us and say, hey, can you move a 53-foot precast flare column for us? Can we throw up this next one here? What, what is going on here? Yeah, yeah, that's uh, that, that's an interesting that's an interesting piece of equipment there. That was going up for a plant out in Oklahoma, um, and a lot of the times, you know, these types of these these pieces of equipment they're so long, they're so big that they they have to go onto a, onto a stretch trailer um, or onto a, or into a longer lower bearing trailer. So this thing was was put up onto a flatbed um, and, and permitted for the hype, uh, but it was thrown out uh, out in Oklahoma. Helped put up a, a chemical plant. The one thing I love about this space, too, is, you know, I sold freight and it can be really annoying selling freight because a lot of times you're selling on price. Everybody wants to talk about price, price, price. In this space, a special project space, it's not nearly as crowded. And this is like extremely expensive stuff, usually, and stuff you don't want all over the news if a train hits it. So you can sell a little bit more on bringing it safely and, and, and value, which allows you to focus on the project. But is it harder to find drivers in this space that can handle these type of moves? Uh, yes, it's definitely more of a niche market and kind of how our company started. We wanted to be niche because we wanted to provide top-notch communication and service to our customers. Um, and with that being said, we, we, we don't just hire any, anybody off the street that, to, to haul our freight. We vet and go through our carriers and, and the guys that we trust to haul this type of stuff are repeat guys. They do a lot of work for us and we put them in, in different positions um, to make sure that we can, we can execute on some of this stuff. Because like you mentioned, I mean, a lot of this, a lot of the freight world, a lot of the, a lot of the stuff that you're moving is sold on price and price alone. Um, and, and for what we do, the types of service that we provide and the, and the high value cargo that we move, um, you know, a couple hundred bucks here or there isn't, isn't really much of our concern. We're, we're telling you, hey, customer, we can get this done in a timely fashion using this type of equipment, ensuring it for this amount of value um, and making sure your stuff gets there safely. And we execute on that and prices and what I sell on. I sell on my, on myself. I, I sell you me 24 seven. Um, and then on top of that, um, it's, it's the service that we provide and, and our customers have been more than happy with what we've been able to do um, for them over the past 12 years. Heck yeah, Mike. I'm I like sold. it. I like a little camo for you, man. I like that. I like your pitch right there. Now, for all your heavy all needs, heading out to Mike. Seems like a good guy. Mike, thank you so much. Have a great Labor Day. Check out Granite Logistics. Yeah, thanks, guys. Appreciate your time. Thanks, thanks Mike. You know, go. if I got back into trucking and actually moving freight, I think that'd be a space I'd like to get into. Well, if you were getting into trucking and you were a female, you might want to talk to Lady Logistics, our she next won't talk guest to me here. Okay. Tristan Simmons, she's the CEO of Lady Logistics, LLC. Tristan, is it only women, or, or could you help Michael Vincent here get his company off the ground? No, Lady Logistics is women only. <laughs> you can't help me find my inner wizard. <laughs> hey, so this is really like you have a really cool story. I read Grace's article last week in the logbook, and thank thank you, Grace, for connecting us. Um, let's let's start at why you started this company. Let's go back to two thousand nine when you tried to start your own company and you encountered your own roadblocks. Absolutely, back in two thousand nine, um, my husband and I started our first trucking company. And we knew no one in the industry other than my father-in-law, who was a driver. So um, about two and a half years in, we were shutting down. Things got bad. You know, we didn't know what we were doing. We were not educated. We did not have an accountant. Money was coming in, but as soon as it came in, it was going out. We didn't use factoring. We were waiting on checks to come in the mail. And sometimes those checks never came. Mm-hmm. So that's how I got started in trucking. Um, and it's been a long road. 12 years later, I'm still here, though. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, no kidding. And so tell me about this. How did you get hooked up with uh, Samantha Smith, Tawana Randall, and Vanessa Grant and, and found uh, Lady Logistics? So actually, these ladies are my co-founders and the leading ladies of logistics. And how I hooked up with them, going back to my story, you know, I thought if I knew women in the industry, uh, maybe I could have someone that I could call, that I could ask questions. Maybe they could point me in the right direction and tell me who could help me with my IFTA or, you know, just what I needed to be doing on a day to day basis to make sure that my company was successful. And I didn't have that. So when I started brokering freight after we had such a hard time on the asset side, um, I came up with the brand Lady Logistics to identify myself as a female in the industry. So later I created Leading Ladies of Logistics and my goal was to attract women that were in the industry. And so the first one that I connected with was Samantha Smith. We, um, met at a brunch in Atlanta. She's out of Ohio and I'm out of South Carolina. And at that brunch, we realized we had so much in common. So after that, we talked on the phone every day and I learned that she was teaching people how to start a trucking company in a brokerage. And I was actually doing one-on-one -on -one training with people in South Carolina, teaching them either how to start a hotshot trucking company or um, to how to get into brokering freight. So we joined forces and we started teaching a class, which is where we met uh, Tawana Randall, who's from Miami. She now resides in Atlanta. And Tawana was one of our students. Um, and she's also one of our success stories. She owns Gold Star Logistics, um, multi six-figure company doing amazing things in the industry. And then I also met Vanessa at that same brunch where I met Samantha. And Vanessa had she's now been in the industry over 17 years. She's what we call the trucker's um, accountant. That's her specialty. Well, you keep mentioning this this tenure in the business, and, and in Grace's article, it said that you'd mentored more than 500 people throughout your career. So I got to ask, what have now you're teaching people? But what have you learned from mentoring 500 people? Oh my God, I've learned so much. Um, number one, if you're going to be in this business, you need to run it like a business. You definitely need to be educated. Um, you know. A lot of people think because they're a small company that, you know, they can take shortcuts, but that that should not be the case. And th that was one of the mistakes that I made when I first got into the industry. Um, I've met so many women. Um, we have over 4,500 women just in our Facebook group alone where we mentor daily. We provide um, tips, information, we share resources, and we've, you know, partnered with companies like OTR Capital to be able to provide those resources to these women because they own trucking companies, they own brokerages, some of them own large dispatch um, firms, they do accounting, back office support, safety. I mean, we have, it's so diverse in our group. So, uh, Tristan, you have a, a, an annual conference uh, for Leading Ladies of Logistics Transportation Networking Conference is what it is. Third annual one's coming up what, in November 4th and 6th in Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, so can you tell us about that? What goes on there? Yes. So we did this um, conference last year in Atlanta, and it was just amazing. The energy was high. What we got to do was actually put the names and faces to the Instagram pages. You know, we see so many people that we interact with um, via social media, and we know their logo, we know their brand. But when we had this event, these people came and they showed up, they connected. Um, the most rewarding feeling was actually hearing from people later on saying, oh, I met an account 
accountability partner at the event. So at this event, um, there's truckers, there's drivers, there's carriers, there's um, uh, dispatchers, brokers. You're going to find a mixture. Um, and we're there. We're sharing information. We're providing those resources. We have speakers um, that can tell, like, for example, Grace from OTR Capital, she's there and she'll be on the panel. Um, telling people about factoring. We just want people to know what's available to you if you are starting a trucking company or if you want to be a dispatcher or a freight agent. We just want to provide good information, education, and resources to our people. Do you get into any of the topical stuff that's going on right now? I know I follow a lot of truckers and talk to a lot of truckers, and a lot of them are sort of torn on things like <clears throat> like vaccines, for example. Yeah. When something comes up, they might have to get vaccinated, or their carrier is going to force them to get vaccinated, or this company. Yeah. Is, will there be any discussions about the, these sort of like these modern issues that are happening right now? They're very prescient, but also Absolutely. very sort of controversial. Absolutely. You know, um, it's it's a tough time to even have a conference. As of right now, we're still going forward, but we will actually even be doing um, on-site COVID testing. But we will be having those discussions because it's very important. We do believe in making sure that people that are coming into this industry, they stay connected and they stay informed. So we absolutely love freight waves. You know, um, I met with Grace Sharkey, of course. Um, so definitely we'll be having those conversations for sure. Grace will be there also. Wow. Well, excellent. Awesome. So uh, aside from this conference we just put out, in the meantime, people want to learn more about you. They want to connect with you. They want to, especially women who are looking to get in here and need some guidance. Where should we send them to? Well, definitely you can follow me on um, all social media at Lady Logistics. Um, my website is ladylogistics.com. Also, please follow the Leading Ladies of Logistics. That website is www.leadingladiesoflogistics. And please join our free group on Facebook. It's just for the women. Of course, we love the guys. We work with the guys. They support us. We support them. But we really wanted this space where women could come in. They can vent. They can ask questions and not feel like they're not important because this is a male-dominant industry. Well, we understand. Thank you, Tristan. Thank you so much for joining us and have a great Labor Day Thank weekend. You. Thanks, no, but, Tristan. Thank I saw, there was some dumbass on LinkedIn who put like a poll up, like, should we have men only logistics conferences? And I'm like, yeah, we'll show them. We'll have men only. Have you been to a logistics conference, buddy? Yeah. Have you, <laughs> like, how many more dudes do you need at the logistics conference? Is this really the way we're going? I really don't understand. Yeah. Hey, what are you doing this weekend? My kids and I are building this. Take a look at this Lego set I picked up, Lady Liberty. That is awesome, yeah, dude. Yeah, is. man. I'm watching football, smoking a brisket. Yeah. Hanging with the kids. Yeah. I'll be, I'll be, you know, cooking some stuff. Too. You will be, man. That looks awesome. Making some Legos. I love it. It'll be a good time. It. It'll be a good time. Hey, if you missed any of our shows earlier this week, because we won't be here on Monday, so no, that's a won't. great time to check out the back catalog. Look up What the Truck, wherever you get your podcast, or the Freight Cast to get every single Freightways podcast. But Monday, we were talking about the impacts of New Orleans. We had a business insider on Battle Exports. That was a great one, right? John Piper was on the road talking oh, to yeah. people. Wednesday, really important rail safety episode that we did. Again, you can find that at freightwaves.com slash podcast. All those kind of things. Find me on Twitter at Timothy Dooner. Find him at Vincent the Dude. Have a beautiful Labor Day weekend. Tell him how to be. Hey, peace and love, everyone. Spread it everywhere.